So I'm sure you've uh, had the same experience that I've had in recent times, uh, in the sunshine, just sitting in the garden, listening to the birds sing, maybe the, the rustle of wind in the trees, just enjoying nature. I had one of those uh, moments uh, a little while ago, had my coffee with me, my digestive biscuit. Actually, two, two, okay, yeah, honesty's good, I know. Two, two chocolate digestive biscuits. Is that, is that the unforgivable sin? We found it at last. Um, yeah, just enjoying, enjoying uh, an interval of peace in the middle of preparing a message about peace, but in a context in which peace is so often missing, isn't it? There's war in Ukraine, wonder a number of wars taking place at the moment. Political unrest in our country, many others. There are places where neighbours are at loggerheads and families are fighting. Peace is absent from so many lives and from so many places. And United Nations peacekeeping might chalk up an occasional success and ACAS might thrash out a compromise between employers and employees, and a marriage counsellor might smooth things out between a fractious couple. But so often, they're just treating the symptoms and not the root cause, because, as Jesus said, it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed... Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Ellen said last week in her message, it's the inside that matters. Or well, someone else has put it, and I've remembered this phrase for so long now, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so as we come to this, the seventh of the eight Beatitudes, a blessing on the peacemakers, peacemakers, we just need to have at the back of our minds that peacemaking is more than just resolving the symptoms, treating the symptoms, more than just papering over the cracks. What it might mean we'll come to very shortly, but we just need to warm up the grey cells a little bit. So I'm hoping you're going to indulge me in a little light-hearted quiz with the people next to you. Don't worry, Ian, don't worry. The questions are easy. You won't be humiliated. <laughs> they do get progressively harder, though. So, um, with the person next to you, here's the first question. So, here, here is a list. Here is a list of eight ice cream flavours, such as those you've tasted recently, I am sure. So, the question for the person you're sitting near is, what is your favourite ice cream flavour? Nice, easy one. Okay, I think there's probably enough time for that question. Probably enough time for that one. Just out of interest, um, how many people said vanilla? You see, that's, that shocks me, it really does. <laughs> Apparently, vanilla is the country's favourite ice cream flavour. I can't get my head around that. I mean, who said, who said chocolate chip cookies, chocolate chip? 
Yeah. You see, I'm with you. I'm with you, Colin. That, that is the best flavour, isn't it? Okay, so that, that was the first list. Um, here is a, uh, another list of eight things. What's, what's wrong with that? It's just, just a list. It's just a list, everybody. So this is how the Premier League finished up last month, for those of you who are not, not aware. The, the colours, those of you who are interested in the colours, they indicate which teams are playing in Europe, apart from the last one. Um, <laughs> it's just a list, Calvin. It's just a list. It's just a li Could have been a list of anything. It's just a list. Anyway, the question is, um, for the person you're with, uh, what is the difference between those two lists? <laughs> apart from the fact one's about ice cream and one's about football. What is the difference between those two lists? <laughs> okay, okay. So I had a very good answer down here, which was that some people don't like football. <laughs> which is excellent, I like that. Um, but the correct answer, for those of you who are keeping score, is that the first list is a bulleted list or an unordered list. Oh. There's no significance in the sequence, whereas the second list is a numbered list or an ordered list. There is significance in the sequence. Okay, final question. This is the hardest one. Are you ready? Another list of eight items. Are the Beatitudes an example of an ordered list or an unordered list? The room has gone strangely quiet. <laughs> Hear those grey cells clicking. Bit nervous about committing to this one, aren't we? And probably rightly so, because there's no clear and obvious right or wrong, or wrong answer to that third question. Whether the Beatitudes are ordered or unordered is not something I feel strongly about, but I do, however, think there is some significance in the order. So, they begin with, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognise the sinfulness of their hearts, their spiritual poverty. Then blessed are those who are mourn, those who are sorry for that spiritual poverty, enough to seek reconciliation with God. And then blessed are the meek, those who humbly receive God's offer of forgiveness in response to their sorrow and by faith put their trust in God's grace. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who in gratitude for the forgiveness received seek to express that gratitude by living to please the one who has forgiven them. Blessed are the merciful, those who in recognition of the mercy they have received show mercy to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, who have no hidden agenda, no mixed motives, no divided loyalties, as they seek to follow the one they have committed to. They seem to build on each other. Or if even, even there we're kind of not entirely sure, at the very least there's a strong correlation between some of them. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose which ones uh, we want to follow and which ones we don't. We can't say, well, I'm up for being meek, but I'm leaving uh, mercy to one side. <clears throat> we can't say, I'd like to be pure in heart, 
But nah, mourning, that's not for me. Just like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, they come as a package of Christian experience. And one commentator suggests that this package reflects the foundations of, of Christian experience, being poor in spirit, mourning for our sin, humbly accepting God's grace. The characteristics of Christian experience are spiritual hunger and thirst, mercy and purity, and the impacts of Christian experience. And if that analysis is correct, and I think it has something going for it, then the first impact of Christian experience is peacemaking. But what does peacemaking mean? Now, if you had asked a first century Jew, they might have replied that there could be no peace until the shackles of Roman rule were removed. They were waiting for a Messiah who would lead them away, uh, sorry, lead them into a time of national peace and prosperity. A peace is often associated with national freedom and security. So did you know that when Alfred Noble introduced dynamite to the world in 1866, he called it security powder? He wanted to promote peace and stability across the world. I hope, he once wrote, to discover a weapon so terrible it would make war eternally impossible. And now, of course, the prophets from Noble's inventions uh, were dedicated to what became known as the Nobel Peace Prize. So an irony there. Seeking peace between nations is, of course, important, but it will only ever be temporary. Satirist uh, Ambrose Bierce defined peace as, in international affairs, a period of cheating between two periods of fighting. And as I've suggested already, what we often think about as peacemaking only addresses the symptoms. Back to this verse again in Mark 7. It's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. <clears throat> so peacemaking must address this root problem. And therefore, our starting point must be to apply God's solution to the human problem, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. <clears throat> For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So peace is made through Christ's blood shed on the cross. It's through Christ's sacrifice that we can be reconciled to God. It's through Jesus that we can become God's friends. This is the heartbeat of the peacemaking message. Again, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. The most important peace to be achieved is a peace between us and our creator. A peace that is achieved when our sins are forgiven through Christ. 
And because that is our starting point, Paul implores his first century listeners and his 21st century listeners, be reconciled to God. Get right with God. Get at peace with God. Now, I hope you feel welcome in this building, whether you have a faith or a different faith or no faith at all. But we would be doing you a disservice and betraying the truth that we hold to if we didn't tell you regularly that your most pressing problem is not your health, it's not your work situation, it's not your relationships, it's not your financial situation. Your most pressing problem, our most pressing problem, my most pressing problem is that by nature we are estranged from God. There is a barrier between us and God. And God's answer to our most pressing problem is found in Jesus Christ and in forgiveness through his blood. So, blessed are the peacemakers. A blessing on those who tell others about the forgiveness available to them through Jesus Christ. A blessing on those who share the good news that they have accepted for themselves. They will be called children of God because they are doing what God's son did himself, inviting men and women and children to believe in him and to follow him. A blessing on all those who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's not the end of our peacemaking, but I think that's got to be the start. That's the heart of it. And from that firm foundation, we can move on to become peacemakers in other contexts, helping individuals find reconciliation, helping families reconcile, helping groups reconcile. And maybe if you are called to international affairs, I don't know, helping nations reconcile. Now, we could say something about all of those, um, but what I want to spend the rest of my time describing are, is the, the qualities of a peacemaker. I say that because, and here's another quote that's often stuck in my mind, I'm sure you've heard it before. What you speak so loudly, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. In other words, all of our peacemaking efforts will fall on deaf ears if our lives contradict it, if we are not people of peace, if we are not people that promote peace. So what are the qualities of a peacemaker? Well, I think we can start by saying it's nothing to do with personality. This is not about the, the nature you were born with, not about having an easygoing personality, not wanting to cause trouble. In fact, I think there's something intentional and powerful about a peacemaker, as we know from Jesus' example. So what is it about? Well, quoting Psalm 34, Peter writes... Whoever would love life and see good days must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So the Greek word there for seek means to look for, seek out, to try to obtain, to desire, to possess. That's quite strong in itself. But the Greek word for pursue has this really long and interesting dictionary entry. To pursue, to persecute, to systematically oppress and harass a person or a group, 
as an extended meaning of pursuing a person on foot in a chase. Also from the image of the chase comes the meaning of striving and pressing on to a goal with intensity to press on. So let's be clear, we're not being charged with oppressing people, that's not what this is about. But we're being told to pursue peace with this same kind of intensity and passion and intentionality, like a lion hunting its prey, you know, single-minded focus. It knows what it, what it wants, and it's, it's going to pursue it. The peacemaker is not an easy-come, easy-go character. They know what's important, and they are on the hunt for it. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, peacemakers will translate that intensity into an appropriate alignment to others' circumstances. Paul to the Romans writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So these verses contrasting really with the previous ones, talk about an appropriate alignment, adjusting ourselves to others' moods and circumstances, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, even if we don't feel, you know, even if we're feeling happy ourselves, taking care to do what is right in the eyes of others. Or to sum it up, as, as Paul says in one little phrase, living in harmony. And it did remind me of musical harmony. So if there is to be musical harmony, the pianist must follow the rhythm of the drummer. That wasn't too hard for you today, was it, Calvin? No drummer. Um, the flautist, for example, has to keep time, uh, to, keeps the key of the pianist and so on. So the guitarist, they, you know, they could break off into a solo, they could break off into a fantastic solo, but it's, if it's out of keeping with the mood of the song, it becomes discordant. So for musical harmony, the musicians must align their personal playing, their personal singing to the overall sound. That's what we're called to here. How is that possible? Another verse from Romans, Paul writes, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So it's possible if we align our thoughts and desires with the thoughts and desires of the Holy Spirit. This verse is all about orientation. Literally, it reads, for mind on flesh, death, but mind on spirit, life and peace. And the word mind translates a Greek word that means purpose, frame of thought, will, aspirations. So in other words, this road to life and peace is through the alignment of my purpose, my frame of thought, my will, my aspirations, and mind to that of the Holy Spirit through reading God's word and submitting to it, through prayer. And that is the route to the patience and the endurance and the honesty and the generosity and the grace and the wisdom and all of the other qualities 
that I need to be a peacemaker in any context. Finally, peacemakers recognize their limitations. In the next verse, Paul writes, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a lovely sight, isn't it? Nice, peaceful sight, dogs and cats together. Here's a, another video along similar lines. You may have seen this one before. Sometimes it's hard to live alongside others, isn't it? Let's be honest. But humour aside, the serious point is that peace isn't always possible. Peacemakers recognise their limitations. They do everything they can. They pursue peace like a lion pursues its prey to live at peace. But peace is not one-sided. Sometimes people don't want reconciliation or don't recognise the need for reconciliation or impose conditions on reconciliation, or don't believe the offer of reconciliation is genuine. There's a story from the 19th century, from a time when France and England were at war, and a French vessel had returned from a long voyage, short of water, and it was near an English port. And they wanted to um, procure a supply of water, but they were afraid they would be taken captive. Well, people in the port saw that you know, they were in distress and signaled to them that the war was over, peace had been declared, but the French people on the boat didn't believe it. So they kind of hung on, hung on, and then ultimately came to the view that actually you know, it was better to surrender their cargo, to lose their freedom, than to perish out at sea for want of water. So they went into the harbour and found that peace had genuinely been declared. It was a genuine offer of reconciliation. So we can offer reconciliation. We must offer reconciliation. We must play our part. But it won't always be accepted. So blessed are the peacemakers, those who seek peace and pursue it for themselves and for others with the gospel of peace as their starting point. Blessed are those who align themselves with others, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, pursuing harmony above and beyond personal expression and right. Blessed are those who align themselves with the Holy Spirit in purpose, in mind, in aspiration, in will. And blessed are those who can let go when they've done all that they can, recognising that peace is not always possible. They are blessed because they will be called children of God. Like Jesus himself, who sought reconciliation with, uh, with humankind, between humankind and God, in full alignment with the will of his Father, who aligned himself with us in all of our dirt and all of our grime and all of our misery and who ultimately achieved what he came to achieve, knowing that not all would accept his offer of peace with God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now I've failed in all of the above at one time or another. So this is a message for me as much as for anyone else. But we thank God for the opportunity of forgiveness, don't we? And that's what we'll be doing in a little moment uh, when we celebrate communion shortly. Thank God who made peace with him possible through the death of his son.